talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. Hello and welcome to another Drops Kickoff podcast. Um, this is it. That's it for the season. Forever. Not forever. No, not forever. Not forever. Yes, yes. Not forever. <laughs> forever. <laughs> forever. No. <laughs> so this is a, this is a shocking way to tell me. Hey, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. The moment we start recording, Jesus. <laughs> um, but it might be over forever. Who knows? Depending on what happens in the Ukraine. Um, but anyway, look. Um, Wallabies end on a high, and I feel high after that season. I part of me doesn't care anymore, but part of me is hopeful, and part of me is like postmodern hopeful, where I've been hopeful for the last six years. So anyway, it's Christmas soon, um, and hopefully I'll get the gift of a Wallabies win in the Rugby World Cup 2023. Or tickets, because I'd like to go, but they've already sold out, and I forgot they actually went on sale before. But anyway, anyway, as you heard the chirping before, we are here with Nicholas Vasiliev and Nathan W. Boys, say hello. Hello, hello. And we are here to talk about rugby. Okay, um, we're a bit late on this, and we apologise, this is crazy crazy week last week, um, but uh, Wallaby's result versus Wales, everyone said anything, uh, Nick, I guess, has, has anyone said about this result, anything about this result that you want to say, I guess? Great result, frankly, I mean, okay, so I mean, the questions still remain, the, the queries still remain, um, and I feel like it's best for us to just, it, it, you can summarize the, this game. It, it's so often the case we, and it's such a lazy remark to say, let's summarize a game in a season. But there is so much to, to, to pull from this. It was a, a really great come from behind performance. I don't know if it's, it, I think Wales's capitulation helped a lot, uh, in that. I mean, where the hell are they right now? That's, that's a big question. Uh, and I know that, you know, there's a lot of uh, conversations about the head coach over there, Wayne Pivak's uh, results. But what a good way to end! The, the, like the boy, like finally the boys. Like we know that they've been putting the effort in. It's they're clearly throwing their throwing their everything at uh, and the, and the kitchen sink at delivering results. And you need no further indication than the stat that we lost. We won, we won two games out of five in that tournament, and we ended the season. We ended that tournament with a positive for and against ratio of one solitary point. That's how close a lot of these games have been. Um, no further indication that it was a good. It, it was a, a win that they deserved. Frankly, it was a win that they deserved, and exciting that it was a lot of the the second string, the second level of the boys who came through and picked up a win at Millennium Stadium. No slouch. And if you're going to end a rough season like that, that's the way to do it. Cool. Nathan, do you have anything to add that you haven't heard from anyone else or Nick? Um, not much. Um, uh, just a, another shout-out just to the fight of this team. Um, it's a, a hallmark of a Dave Rennie side now. Of You know, backs against the wall just makes them stronger. And to, you, you know, get back into position, get that win... God, it's the type of win everyone, you know, everyone talks about. Even everyone in South Africa, when they talk about that World Cup win, points to, I believe it's in well, the Wellington game a year earlier, where they, they, I think they were on a really like bad skid of losing games, somehow came out and knocked off New Zealand by a couple of points. They talked of that game as the one that you know spearheaded their campaign, that World Cup campaign, and like lifted their spirits and took the pressure off the coach. This could have this. If the Wallabies somehow go on and get the job done, as you kind of allude to at the start, or as we we hope to, I reckon this is the game people would look back on and go, "This is where it changed." It is. So like a, it's it's a it, it felt like a moment of just finally the boys get the result, and it seemed like a result that was much needed. 
for, especially for Paul, for, for Rennie. I think he's had a, it's been a pretty rough year. Or despite the inconsistencies, despite all the problems, and yes, there are problems that are needed to fix this side, um, which we'll get into, but, you know, it was a win that he needed and it was a win that was probably reflective of the amount of work that him and the, the coaching staff behind the scenes have actually put in. Um, hey, take the W's when you can. Absolutely. And um, Wales starts with a W. Um, so... That's Wales. Yeah, it is Wales. I was right. Um, moving on. Um, so, um, season as a whole. So, let's get into that. Uh, how do I... Uh, and this is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of, uh, we could go many ways with this, but I guess, uh, how do we feel about how this season went? Um, did it, did it go, I don't know, like, uh, how are we feeling about the next World Cup, I guess? It's like, how, how do you want to, how do we, how do we feel about the next World Cup? I think that's probably the best kind of answer to this. Nathan? It's a real, I, I, I'm trying to sense it when you try to frame that question as well. It's a weird place to be in. Because there's part of me that thinks, and I, I alluded to in my kind of last answer then, part of me thinks this is, this is all, when people talk about Dave Rennie's tenure as a Wildies coach, it's going to look at this period. And if it fails, or if we, you know, we end up losing, say, losing the Wales to go to the quarterfinal, this will be the period where they go, well, they were overworked, they, couldn't build momentum in the spring tour and let too many close games fall apart. This is what kind of killed him. But if we, you know, ride through what's a pretty, comparatively, a pretty easy ride to the semi-finals in the sense of you avoid New Zealand, South Africa, France and Ireland, potential of Japan or Argentina or quarterfinal if you top the group, you then look on this group, this period and say, well, this is when Dave Rennie built this world beside that had so many injuries, that had so many setbacks, and it built that toughness and that steel that's been missing for so long. So it's a really weird period to try and kind of quantify. So it's one of why hindsight is such a wonderful thing. You just don't know at this point. But if I had to say at this current kind of moment, and you know, might be still last last week's win talking, I think it's a positive position to be in. I think the key is to make sure we ha- we get to September for that first game with a full full strength squad. You know, with not the same level of injuries, you know, because you start looking at that back line and you go, well, Sam McGrevy comes back at full strength. He slots in at 12. Ikatao looks amazing at 13, arguably one of your favourites for a John Eels medal. A back three of Corumbete, um, a fullback maybe, Andrew Andrew Colwell, Tom Wright, who was playing the best, and all of a sudden, Mark Mongonitawasi, who's, who's now a rising star of the future and shown he can be that X Factor. Add Nick White or Tate McDermott, take your pick, and Quade Cooper, that's a solid, that's a really competitive team. That's a really competitive back line. You then look at, you know, Hooper coming back into the forward pack. Isaac Rodder potentially has another lock option. Taniel Tupo is expected to be fit for a World Cup. Angus Bell comes back for further depth. Like, there's some, re- it's a really solid squad if we can get that, if we can get a first choice 23, and we get the majority of that first choice 23 back in time for, that first game. I think it's all just about getting, just making sure we get to that stage, a little bit of momentum and a little bit of a, of a, a cleaner bill of health. So I think it's, I think it's a positive place to be heading into World Cup. And particularly when you see the struggles of Wales, you know, England losing, potentially going through coaching change, which we'll kind of touch on later. Like it's a, it's a positive place to be in particularly, you know, we just, how the, the drawers work with you looking for a World Cup, World Cup perspective. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, that's a pretty good wrap up you gave there, Nathan. Uh, that's pretty comprehensive. But one thing you brought out was fitness. Um, uh, Nick, the fitness. So we were talking about, uh, we we're talking about, um, friend of the pod, Jeff Parks, used to be called Orlanthus on, on the role. He writes the Royal Rugby Rap. He wrote a pretty good article this morning about, um, injuries in the Wallabies camp and what's doing with it. And I think, Nathan, perhaps the, there's been some kind of change in strength and conditioning lately or previously. I'm, I'm not sure if that's true if I'm thinking of some entirely different team. But, uh, uh, Nick, the, the fitness was pretty concerning, right? And, and, and also, what were your kind of like, takeaways from that article? 
It's a great article, uh, and shout out to Jeff for for it. But he he highlighted, and I know that I've got this number wrong myself because of it, of how ludicrous it is. There's so many numbers flying around. Wallaby's injury toll for this year: forty five injuries to thirty one different players, and we used fifty one players in the in this uh, in this squad this year. It's Unbelievable, and I think that the need to, uh, you know, the analysis of exactly what, like, the review is is definitely required. Nathan, I mean, is this a, what exactly is this review going to look like from your perspective? Is it just a case of of sitting down and examining the conditioning discussion? Because, I mean, there is Josh's point that he made last week, that maybe there's an onus on the players to actually, uh, to... To, there's an onus on the players to to sign up to own up to this sort of stuff, or is it a case that there is something going on here? What do you, is it? Just we say freakish bad luck, we say all sorts of stuff, but how is this review going to actually happen? Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I I generally, I, my understanding of these rev- these type of reviews is like this is you do this regardless of the injuries. You you know you you know your coach will sit down with the with the high performance staff with everyone and kind of chat through, which you know. We usually chat through what you what what would happen after a tour or what would happen, you know, in a year, particularly with a World Cup in mind. I think, yeah, it's, it's going to kind of come down to how much of this is bad luck, how much of this is an overworking, probably probably surveying players' perspective, like again, which which happens in every review. Like it's not, I don't think it's going to be any kind of special task force or whatever you want to call it put together, to, you know, to try and get this crisis. It'll be like it'll be a usual review, but. This is, as you kind of, both you guys have alluded to, it's probably the number one issue at the moment facing the Wallabies is how do you kind of, how do, how do you keep, and keep these guys fit and ensure that we're not facing a similar, similar situation to Wales where we have 25 fit guys available for selection. Like mm. that's, it's, it has to be a priority and I, I believe there was a change in the, in, in terms of who was in charge. I think Jeff alluded to that in the article. Um, mm. I again something that would need to be double double checked, and I'm not I, again I'm not willing to I'm not confident enough to say it was it was definite, but yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting chart, and I think it's going to I think it's one of those things we've always as fans always thought the Wallabies have been underfit when they've come into training, like they've fallen fallen away from games, and you know it's it's shown it showed kind of at the start of his tenure, and it's showed in a couple of years before that. I think this is just, just this might just be a case of just that that overcorrection, you know, trying to get them as fit as possible and just pushing and pushing and pushing, and we've we've found the breaking point. With a World Cup in mind, you know, this might be the perfect time we get that balance. And I think you kind of see that 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 change alluded to when you have reports coming out that we're already going to be resting guys during Super Rugby. We're already going to be taking that load management up. So I don't know. It's good. I I hope that this is just we're gonna, this is kind of the the necessary action just to find the middle ground. But again, it's going to have to be a wait and see. Yeah, it is. And I think on, on that point, and it, it, it leads to a broader point. I mean, we, with the, there's the, the conditioning question. It is, you know, game time question. I think there is a lot needs can be said about, I mean, by comparison to, you know, our New Zealand counterparts, the boys don't get as much game time as they should. That's the reason why so many of the super rugby sides are going out, are going off on tours during this off season and everything like that. But it does lead to a broader point. Going back to the original discussion about that, uh, in general, about how we feel about this season as a whole, uh, for the Wallabies, I think there are issues and problems, but they can be addressed. Uh, we got a comment before this this podcast dropped, which was from uh, Jock, Jock Cudmore, and he basically talked about. He basically said, with all the Jones chat, Australian media has also, you know, had, having begun murmuring of replacing. Rennie post-World Cup. And Jock made the argument that he personally thinks that Rennie's been hard done by both COVID disruptions and then the injury issues that we have here. And he thinks he's building so it will be very short-listed, short-sighted to replace him. And he asked, what do we think? Personally, I am in agreement with that. I think that there is, that Rennie does need, I reckon it, we, you should, it's, it's good that we're sticking with him at least until the World Cup. And I think there is an argument to keep him for at least another year post-World Cup because 
If we broaden this out to just the Wallaby, uh, outside of just the Wallabies, and talk about Australian rugby in general, we've had much worse years than this year, I argue. Um, so I think the Super Rugby brand came back quite successfully in the form of Super Rugby Pacific. We had a couple of very strong performing sides that made it deeper in, deep into that competition. And not only that, but proved themselves to be legitimate challengers for the likes of, New Ze- of our New Zealand counterparts. I mean, the Brumbies nearly beat the eventual champion, the, sorry, nearly beat the Blues in the, in the semi-final. Sorry there, broke, broke a few hearts. Um, not only that, we have a very, the Sevens program has never been as successful as, as it's ever been. And while, you know, a lot of questions can be asked about, uh, how we can improve and maintain that success going forward and, and the challenges that we have at club level, there is a, 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 we have been in much worse conditions, situations before. We won a World Cup this year. We, uh, we won both the Women's World Cup and the Men's World Cup this year. But, but Nick, the World Series. Lost to Italy. We did lose. This is the thing. No, I'm branching it out beyond the context of the Wallabies right now. As we're talking Australian rugby as a whole, we've had much worse years. If we're talking the Wallabies as as one team, I think they have significantly underperformed. I, I and, think the, the, the Wallabies is 80% of Australian rugby. Really, that's the engagement, you know, in terms of Australia as a country playing rugby. And that's true. That's, I mean, it's a fair point. Like, it's not you know, the other teams, but that's just how. It, it's it's one of those things. The Wallabies will, will always always get that attention as, you know, if you're talking rugby union, talking Australian rugby union, the first thing, let's face it, people are going to talk about is the Wallabies. You know, mm. the Sevens, sevens is not, is, it's been a great year for the Sevens. As you said, I, I would argue the best year they've had. But ultimately, that success is, you know, it's, it's, it's nice, but it's not on the same level as what a Wallabies season is. Mm. And if, if you look at results, this is probably... It's probably a slight step down from 2020, but it's not, sorry, 2021, but it's not saying that, you know, all hope is lost. I think we're still, it was my, in terms of result, a step down, but I still think we're heading in the right direction. I still think it's a, there are positives there. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but I, it's, it's kind of before about the fitness as well, that this is an ongoing problem. I mean, Checker mm. complained about it. Um, so, I, 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 I do wonder, it got really worse, and this happens in a lot of sport teams, that when they start, when the coach comes in and goes, oh, you're not fit, and then he, and he runs them ragged, or he starts playing a much more high-tempo style, that there's all these muscle injuries, which is what happened this year. Um, Jeff, uh, sorry, so Jeff Parks in his article had a really good kind of quote about, um, you know, uh, Tupo kind of said, oh, thank you know, when he had when he got injured with his ankle, I think Nathan calf, calf. Did he start yeah. towards the end of the Super Rugby season? He basically was yeah. like, "Well, thank God I get to have a break because I've been playing eighty minutes all year." Um, and then he kind of had to play that again for the Wallabies, and then surprise, surprise, he breaks down. I think it's kind, of, it is an issue, and I do kind of feel vindicated because I've been pushing it, um, but. Yeah, um, hopefully, hopefully he's taken the Eddie Jones approach. Maybe we can move on now to the Eddie Jones thing. That he's taken the Eddie Jones approach of running the team ragged year before the World Cup. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think this is, this is going to be a year of, of short-term pain, long-term gain, because, I mean, considering how many players we've had to fall back on, how many players have actually gotten game time, um, we're going to be better for it come the World Cup. I'll tell you that. Well, actually, let's spin that. How many players have come good out of all these injuries? I can think of one, and that's Mark uh, Nawak and Nathan Wazi. I think you're selling it way too short, mate. What about Fraser McWright? At least half of them. So, yeah. Fraser, Mc, Fraser McWright, you'd say. Um, I would argue Pete Samu hasn't... The injuries have given Pete Samu a much bigger role and much better... Kind of as a result, his stocks have risen. Um, he was Frost, playing very well off the bench, though. But he's gone to another level in 2020. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. But we all knew that. Nick, Sorry, go on. I was going to say, Nick Frost, I think, is the, the biggest winner out of all that. Yeah. yeah. Does he does he get a go if Isaac Rodder breaks his foot? Matt Phillip does a 
uh, I think it did, I think it was a sternum that opened the door for him or something like that. I, I doubt it. And he all of a sudden looks like, you know, he's all of a sudden rocketed to the top of your second row depth chart. Is your sternum um, like, is that like where your ribs meet? It's, that's, it's the it's the main part. It's like right in the center of your chest. It's like where your ribs, yeah, push out. Yeah, from. the bottom. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. And then I would I would argue Lalakai Fichetti as well. Did he yeah. Eat chips that were too hot and you got like heartburn and sorry, sorry, gone. <laughs> I love that we've we've just turned it into an anatomy <laughs> podcast. You're still going with this. <laughs> but going Hello. going off uh, going off Nathos point, like I reckon there's I reckon a lot of guys are saying up. I thought Kane and Neville had a pretty decent uh, so a pretty who, decent run. Who's in that first fifteen? You mean from those people? Ter- from those people, I would go Frost and um, Nwanga Nitawazi. Probably, uh, yeah, that's and uh, Jed Holloway. I'd, 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 I'd argue Jed Holloway probably has got his chance with injuries as well. Like over Leota. Yeah, over Leota, over. Yeah, not Swinton. Over, I would go not Swinton. Swinton's first choice. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Kate, Kate and Neville's probably. I, I put him up. I think he's in a race with Isaac Rara and Matt Phillip in terms of who partners Frost. Dave Parecki. Dave Parecki debuted this season. We forget. No, no, we're talking about injuries. Like injuries. Dave Parecki was first choice. Yeah, it was going to be. Dave best. Parecki's a first choice. He's a winner this year, and I think like uh, Lockie Lonigan, uh, apart from one or two, uh, one or two, uh, you know, my, uh, my blemishes, uh, has proven himself to be an excellent, uh, you know, uh, finisher as well. I mean, Falafayenga did have his moments, but you know, how, God, how many cards did he yeah, did he have? Few and far between. <laughs> the dude can't throw a line out. Mm. I mean, he gets hard. a lot of tri- he gets a lot of tries, but it's because of the eight men in front of him, seven or eight men in front of him doing the doing the work. But you know, th- I reckon there's lots of uh, there's lots of, of positives to come from that, and I think it goes to also goes to show how good having Australia A back has been. I think. Because so many of those boys that went on to that won in Cardiff had played had had a lot of their game time playing in uh, you know in the in the competitions earlier this year. I mean Ben Donaldson is still a long way away from being his full potential, but he has had such a breakout year in terms of just growth, development, progress. Um, if you had told him, I mean yes he has two caps and I and I would have personally given him another year, but. We were in except, exceptional circumstances with the, with the amount of injuries that we've had. And, you know, he's going to come good. He's going to go all right, I think. There's a right. lot of positives to pull. Like, I wouldn't, let's, in answer to your question. Can we, can we put this, actually, now? Um, to be a bit negative, but, I mean, that's kind of fun. <laughs> Mason, I guess go to you first. Um, who would you now, like, not pick? Or who would you say is out of the 15 or the 23 after this year? I think your, your biggest, in terms of injury-wise, who's, who's kind of gone down the peck more than the most, I would argue Darcy Swain's first come to mind. I think he mm-hmm. was uh, he was up there and it's is, is fallen back behind a couple. Uh, Hunter Paisami, I think, is someone someone who's, again, in 2021 was a really kind of almost one of the first, your first picks. And now all of a sudden finds himself behind, you know, if Karevi comes back, if, or almost, you almost made the argument, if the Keddy has another solid year, he might be ahead of Paisami. Um, who else in terms of. Like Wright? Yeah, would Wright play start now? I don't, I think Wright. Betty on one wing. Morabetti, I reckon Wright's plateaued a little bit this, this last couple of games, especially during this tour. He had, he had his moments this year, but I wouldn't necessarily say he lit the world. He, like, he had a cut, like, earlier this year he was playing really well. Hmm. I, I think it's, that's a combo of, I was going to say Wright and Callaway. One, whichever one of those two. Cause I think now they've, both those guys have gone from all of a sudden pretty solid wing back three choices to fighting for a position. I would, you then make the argument while we're talking back three, even, even though he wasn't in, he hasn't been in for long. Vunivalu is just completely off the radar. <laughs> he's he's been a big loser in all this. I was saying before to Nick, um, before before recording that I think Australia A was a great play just 
for them to play Vunavala to shut all these people up on Vunavala to play, and then he didn't do shit. He was he, yeah, it was shit. <laughs> he was he didn't do shit. He got dropped from the Australia A side. That's uh, that says all all, you, all it needs to say, doesn't it? Um, on the on the subject of of you know players who who might have slipped down the uh, down the pecking order a bit. I mean, he's he's only played four or five games this season, but I reckon there's a lot of loose forwards that have, that have that have put their hand up. Do we actually think Lockie Swinton will get into the side this year, next year? Is he actually in contention? So yeah, the question's got to be: Does he? All right, if you're Darren Coleman next year, you have Charlie Gamble, Michael Hooper, Will Harris, Langy Gleeson, you know Ned Hadigan, all he can play in a back three. Who does Lockie Swinton come in for? No one could start. Because, realistically, Hooper Hooper starts at seven. Gamble probably starts at six. Do you play him over Harris at eight? Do you move Gamble to eight? No way. Harris has been playing so well this year. And that's the problem. That's why he's one of the biggest biggest losers out of it. I was going to say uh, one person we did miss, um, Tom Banks. God, what a shocker of a year. How many injuries has the man had? Uh, yeah, you've got a, you've got a feel for the boy. He's just he's had injury after injury after injury, but now he's all of a sudden gone from you know one of your first fullbacks picked to having to really hope that there's a change in eligibility law to be to even feature in, in, in the squad. Mm, yeah, that's true. He has he has lost out. It's he's playing the Rumbies next year, right? No, he's left. He's gone no, overseas. He's, he's, oh, he's right. in Japan. Oh, he's yeah, in Japan. Okay. Right, catch you later. So he's got. Tom Wright is playing fullback for Brumbies next year. They've got no other choice. Um, but yeah, it's thanks to the bank. It's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting next year with kind of Super Rugby and how you know if Rebels decide to play Kelly at fifteen, Tom Wright at fifteen, Kirtley at fifteen, maybe for the Rotiles or Ben Donaldson. You'd have a realist, really, and Jock Campbell for the Reds. All of a sudden, you're gonna have. You know, four of the seven rugby clubs with four of the potential Wallabies fullbacks just having, and we can, we're going to be able to see those kind of those back and forth battles, you know, position v position. So it's going to be exciting. Um, yeah, um, I guess so. So moving on, I mean, do we want to actually? I just want to say, like, I thought Drop Campbell played well. He's, as we all know, he's about five years older than everyone thinks he is, but I thought he. <laughs> He, he played well, and he's a he's a level head. Um, he just missed that tackle tackle in France. Um, but I guess do we want to talk about Super Rugby? Uh, the the deal next year. Um, I think so. It's worth the, yeah. it's the future. It's the future of the competition, and it's it's locked in. So yeah, okay. Well, Nathan, you wrote the article, so tell us all about it. So the deal gets them through to twenty thirty, basically saying that there is going to be some form of Super Rugby competition. Ideally, it's its own iteration for the first couple of years for the next eight. So basically, the key things for people to sort of understand from this deal is, firstly, and with something which the clubs are really, I think the clubs have been pushing for a while, is that independent governance model in the sense of you're going to have an independent chairman um, for, I think, four or five independent directors and then representatives from I, I, um, Rugby Australia, New Zealand Rugby and their players' respective player associations. Basically, what that, mean, what that means is instead of high performance telling Super Rugby what to do, you're basically going to have this this body basically making the right choices for the comp. You know, if there's law variations they want to bring in, they can just control it themselves. It would just bring it kind of make sure that your focus is 24/7 is Super Rugby and how to make that better, rather than at first six months Super Rugby, but we now need to focus on our, the Wallabies or the All Blacks or those particular teams. Um, Another thing is, you know, there's, while it's not in the announcement, there is, they were kind of open, speaking with Andy Marinos and Mark Robinson, they were both pretty open with expanding the competition, whether that looks like, you know, getting some Japanese clubs involved or, you know, creating the club competition that's been kind of floated. Both were pretty open to that, but wanted that kind of stability for, you know, your first couple of years heading forward. And finally, um, Wait, wait, so, so, sorry, um, I don't know, do you want to finish your spiel? But I do have a question about what you just brought. Um, were you saying... Say the, the only thing I was just going to just say yeah. is expanded, also with expansion, um, expanded women's comp, so combining Super W and um, our picky, potentially oh, okay. as, as of, like, next year. 
have the have like the champions from both comps like playoff, and oh. then make it expanded one to twenty twenty four. Oh, that's that's rock and roll. Um, so what you're saying? Yeah, so you were saying that they've kind of locked it in. Not kind of like they've they've it's they're, put it this way, they're as open Japan, to it as. So how does when the when will the Japan chat have, happen? For example, that's that's the million dollar question. Like no one knows at this stage, and like, like it's it's still well and truly down the track. But what it kind of I don't know. I don't know exactly how it looks like, but there was talks coming out of the Northern Hemisphere. They want to do a sixteen club challenge, eight from north, eight from south. And then basically bring in bring in your top top Australian, top New Zealand, some of your top Japanese, and play against your European heavyweights. How that looks, I don't know, but yeah, and when that know, will happen, who knows? But again, it seems like with this kind of locked in, they were uh, whilst you know no one's no one knows how it looks. They kind of got that sense that people are a lot more open to this idea. But again, it's they were very quick to be like you know whilst yes you know. This interests us. The twelve teams we have now, we've got to consolidate and focus on. Um, yeah, interesting. I don't like that club championship. I don't know when it will happen, and I think that there is some kind of issue because uh, who was it? Um, Bristol or Bath in the UK folded and no Exeter did. Bath and Wasps. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I got them completely wrong. Um, so you, you kind of can see where that intercontinental club, world, world club championship, I guess, is coming from. Because um, they're running out of money, but that's because they're paying stupid wages. Um, Nick, thoughts about the Super Rugby comp? They needed to do it, put it simply. I think uh, Super Rugby, I think, had new life in it with the competition this year. I think people got back into it. I think people got more excited by it. Um, the inclusions of the Drua and Moana Pacifica were a long time coming and absolutely worth the wait. Uh, you can't have a Super Rugby competition about the best with the best teams in the Southern Hemisphere without a inclusion of teams from the Pacific Islands. Um, and it's good to... I think it means that with this comes basically a major... It's a major piece of infrastructure guaranteed and locked in for other competitions as a whole uh, to build off that. Uh, considering what's happening for Australian rugby over the next couple of years, we're, we're heading into a watershed moment with the Lions Tours and the two World Cups. I think it makes sense to keep this competition going. Is the revenue equal, Nate? Has there been any discussion about that? Because I thought that was the key problem in terms of previous discussions, wasn't it? The fact that New Zealand rugby were getting a much bigger slice of the pie than we were. Was that, or is that a question that we're not allowed to, to know about or answer about later? No, like the revenues, it's not, I don't, I think they're still kind of keeping it quiet in terms of, from both sides, but it sounded like, you know, it's not equal, but it's better in terms of an Australian, from an Australian perspective. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't have agreed, I'm assuming they wouldn't have agreed to the, to renewing the contract of the, of the competition for as long as they have if there wasn't something that was decent in there for us. Um, I think it was, it, it was inevitable that this was going to happen, um, and I think it's good that this has happened. I don't necessarily think we have the strength for a, full, for a, very, for a strong domestic competition, at least right now, um, or at least outside of kind of your development competitions like an NRC, uh, which, which you know, obviously we, we, need, we need to answer and address that question because there is still a gap there that remains. And hopefully with, with increased revenue, we might find a way to address that problem. Um, I, think it is, I think it's really, really positive. And I think sticking with it for a little while before asking, um, you know, the likes of, Jap- of Japan or other teams to come in is a, is, a, is a good approach to it. My only criticism is... Are they going to change the trophy, the look of the trophy? Because it's, I think it's like the egg basket, is what I want to start calling it. Yeah, it, yeah, it looks like games. a like it looks like a superhero cape. Like it's a, a it's the villain from Toy Story. That's it. It's or, the villain um, from it's Zerg. It's Zerg. Or it's like it's like a metal NRC trophy. It's like a metal. To- it's like a. It's the same yeah, shape. Yeah, here we go. It's a metal toast rack. It's it yeah. It's. The, the villain from Toy Story mixed in with, with that, like, blue... Uh, the name escapes me. The 
What's what's that? One of those Marvel movies with one of the blue guys. Mm, like, um, like yeah, I know who you mean. The the like the one of those aliens from the Marvel movies. God, this this makes us seem so old. I think like you're watching these. Yeah, I think so. No, it's not great. I can't. I, again, name will come to me like halfway. We'll be on a completely different con- like topic, and the name will come to me. But again, it look the best description you can give. It looks like a Toy Story villain, but yeah, it looks it, like an, it, it's work. It's a cup holder. It's like an egg cup. That's what it is. It's the it's the egg cup. It looks it's like a, it's, it looks too modern because they're trying to be modern. But <laughs> don't think it looks modern. But you know, like, you know, like the A League have like that toilet seat trophy. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you've got to be yeah. distinct. Megamind. That's what I was thinking of. Megamind. That's it. Yes. It's a combo of Megamind and the Toy Story villain. Sorry. Again, I was gonna. That was going to annoy me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for, like, the voice of Megamind to come out of it, like, when the Crusaders yeah, hold it up once again. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, but, uh, for people who don't know, like, Megamind's got a big blue head and, like, a black... I, I, surely people know who Megamind is. Come on. I mean, we literally, <laughs> ju- we literally just spent two minutes trying to figure out who it is. I don't <laughs> know who Megamind <laughs> is. I don't know who he is. Um... Yeah, um... Anyway, I just, you know, why couldn't you have... Just get that dude who did the uh, Sydney Opera House. Get him in to do a trophy, and that'll be like iconic. Anyway, he's, he's um, dead, mate. Doesn't matter. Crack um, <laughs> his DNA. Um, okay. Anyway, um, to practically done. Good chat. Let's talk about Eddie Jones. Um, so, actually, actually, we should check now because it's uh, eleven a.m. British time. Nothing yet. Yeah. No. So no. reports are that he's going, going, gone. Um, that, uh, Nick, you feel strongly about this? They're fucked up. If, if, if like, if, you're less than twelve. If this is true, you're less than twelve months out from the World Cup. Um, I mean, by the sounds of it, according to kind of the news that has that has come out there, and again, this is all we're we're talking about this at nine thirty on Tuesday evening. Monday. Um, Monday? Oh, God, it is Monday. Fuck me. Um, 9.30 Monday it's evening. A, it's important to make the distinction because literally by the time this pod comes out, he might be gone. Like, I think there's there's meetings happening over the next couple of hours whilst we're recording this. At yeah, least that's the, that's the word coming out of England. Yeah. So it's... It's a it, meeting the, to determine his future. Correct. That's, that's what it's been briefed as, yeah. And so it could be a bit of confidence. It could be. But there mm. the, but. People were so sure that he's going, going, gone. Like, I think uh, Georgina Robertson wrote an article. Uh, Nathan, you're the journo. I mean, isn't that a good indication? It's a pretty good indication. Um, again, these, my understanding of this is always, you know, people don't write this sort of stuff, and people, like, the talk out of England is, seems so confident. You don't. You don't generally don't say that unless you are pretty, pretty sure. Like you are willing to put money in your career on the fact that he might be gone. So, yeah, we, you know, we'll wait and see what comes out of it. But I'm, I kind of agree with Nick. I don't believe this is the right choice. I mean, honestly, from an Australian perspective, I'm loving it. Like this is, I yeah. last thing I want, last thing I want to be doing is heading into a potential quarterfinal, playing Eddie Jones in England. Because we saw how well that went four years ago. Like Eddie's the king of getting a side up at the right stage. You know, I think as I think Squidge kind of made, made exactly. But Squidge made a good point um, over social media. I think a couple of days ago, he's he's holding things back. You could you the way he was playing against South Africa, the way they played against New Zealand. None of that, none of that's kind of it looked completely different to how they kind of. Presented themselves in Six Nation or in other in, in other competitions. So I think I think Eddie's tried to play a long game here. If you're going to get rid of him, you kind of lose the whole. You lose that that plan just turns to nothing. I think Steve Borthwick is the guy that they'll, they'd bring in. He seems like the leading candidate that's been kind of tossed around. How much difference can he make in, in ten months to the first yeah. opener? None. Like, you're best sticking with the... Like, it's too late. It's too late to make this change. That's what I think. Like, I mean, when did we sack Ewan McKenzie in um, 2014? I, was, I think it was a similar time. Yeah, I think it was. But 
No, it was slightly longer. It was a year and a, Czech had a year and a half turnaround. So he had this, he had the rugby championship. He got, he came in with two weeks prep for the rugby championship in 2014. And then, uh, and then he also had the autumn series as well. So I'm pretty sure. Actually, no, no, sorry. Scratch that. Spring tour. Or spring tour was his first season. Sorry, spring tour was his first, uh, his first games because his first match was the Barbarians game. Uh, that, that Australia just won. So, like, he had more time than this. Like, this is, this is nothing. Like, realistically, if they sack Eddie, then, then, and, and Brothwick takes the role, he has realistically got less than 10 matches to adapt, and realistically less, let's call it less than that, because of how many games you play in a World Cup calendar year. Probably five to six. Well, yeah, um, got six, six nations is a guaranteed five. Yeah, six nations yeah, is guaranteed five. You've probably got another two or three warm-up games beforehand. So realistically, six or seven or eight games to adapt uh, the, the team to your coaching style and playing style. Unless, of course, you're going to make a slight adaptation from Eddie Jones's uh, playing style, which begs the question, well, if that's the case, then why remove him anyway, unless there's clearly some sort of well, uh, um, issues new, between the players? New coach, and the, new cap, new coach bounce. I think it's too, it, this is about this is, on. The fact this is, is that two eleven thousand, and you got to you got to prove to him that you want to be, be in the squad, so you play better. This is two eleventh hour though. I reckon it's too late. It, you're or you're either that or they're effectively willing to throw away this World Cup. I reckon it's like tenth hour, because um, they sacked him halfway through the Six Nations. But I think you know, in, in some ways, it's kind of too early because. I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I just, I think if you look at Eddie Jones, he's one of the best coaches in the world. He's got the two World Cup finals. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any other coach has done that. Maybe Graeme Henry, um, Steve Hansen, I'm not sure. Um, but I just, yeah, like he, I think, uh, uh, I said this in the, the our group chat before, but I think England came fifth or sixth in the 2000 and 18 Six Nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Made the final the following year. Yeah, and I think, because he, he's been playing, um, Marcus Smith a lot, and people have been saying, oh, Marcus Smith can't play, blah, blah, blah. He's too young, but I think that's what he's been trying to do is build him up to speed because he'll be a key part of how England plays in 2023. Mm. But yeah, I, I, I think it's. Not a great idea. You should stick with him. Yeah, how um, I mean, I like, mean maybe they should most... get the Reds board in charge of England. <laughs> like he's got to, if, he's, if you kick him out, he's finishing as the most successful statistically England coach that there has been. Seventy three percent winning record, fifty nine Test matches, one out of eighty one. That's like nothing to be sniffed at. That's a solid performance and a solid result. And he and yes, he has had a mixed performance in twenty twenty two, but. You know, as highlighted, as uh, Nathan and you both highlight in 2019, I mean, they didn't have a strong Six Nations in the fall, and they didn't have a strong... And, and then suddenly 2019 rolls around the World Cup and they make the grand final. It's... Yeah, I think... It's, it's, I don't think you can sack him. It's way too late, as you're saying. It wouldn't surprise me if they keep him on and then bring Borthwick in over the top as as a quasi-director of rugby, similar to what kind of happened to check in 2019, but yeah, I think I think England seriously have to reconsider the, the idea of sacking Eddie, so again, we'll probably, by the time this podcast comes out, you'll probably know what the decision is, but for their sake, I, ho- I hope they've kind of had a second thought and then they keep him on. So they're checking him out the door. That's because what they're doing. They're checking him out the door. <laughs> the, the old check yourself before you wreck yourself type mentality. Check, check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> uh, great Already. quote. Oh, um, I just want to say as well that, you know, he's kind of a very, um, I mean, I could say toxic and I might not be wrong, but he, he ruffles a lot of feathers. He is a feather ruffler. Um, <laughs> the biggest under, like... He, that is his number one mo. Like that, Eddie. That's how Eddie coaches. That's how Eddie does everything. He just but loves the kind Morgan of stuff. Morgan Turanui said on when he had his podcast. He said, "I'm still scared of him, and I'm He's, a grown man, and I've got children." 
And he's a shit, he's a bit of a shit stirrer. He's a bit of a oh. shit stirrer. He likes he likes to have a bit of a gap. No, no, no. Like worse than that. Like he he went through so many coaches when he was there because he just is so intense. He's more intense than a camp. Right, Nathan. Yeah. Nathan. I think I think he's gone through a fair amount. Yeah. I am. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the exact. But that, that general idea, he's so intense and so domineering and so. It's it's his way or the highway. That type of that type of mentality, and you can kind of yeah, he can put people off absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, so I think because he's been coaching England for long as he ever has. Thank you to Wikipedia, our source of rugby knowledge. Um, for seven Wikipedia. Years. <laughs> yeah, Wikipedia. Uh, for seven years, where his previous longest tenure was Australia for four years, but. Yeah. Um, anyway, Feather Ruffler. So, I can see why they kind of want to get rid of him, perhaps. Got sick of him. Um, but he has been there for seven years, and he's achieved a lot, to be frank, because England were crab juice when he took over. Oh, bring back the days of Lancaster, please. Just, yeah. just for me as a, just for me as a fan. But yeah, I feel like they've they've messed up here. England have, and going back to. To Jock's point, I mean, we're not asking these questions of Rennie right now. I mean, I think well, some 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 folks in the Australian media circle are, but it's clear to me that that Rennie is a man with a plan, and I don't think many it's the the concerns and issues that we've had that we have with Rennie are, are remotely down the line. And Rennie's got a record that's only half as good as as Eddie Jones currently right now. Um, I think I think they're making a they're making a mistake here. And additionally, it also means that Squidge Rugby's prediction that Eddie Jones will win the 2023 World Cup will never come true. So, hey, let's see if, let's see how well this comment ages in a few hours' time. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Um, anyway, uh, moving on. Um, unless, Nathan, you want to add anything? I think everything's been covered. But yeah, yeah. got the sevens. The only other thing we want to talk about was, yeah, sevens. Um, um, Nick, you want to talk about them? I'll make a quick comment on it. Nath, I know Nathan will, will always being the man who wrote the article. I also want to highlight, we should, we should probably finish it till the end of the podcast, of Nathan winning an award uh, for his journalistic ability, courtesy of Rugby Fixation Podcast. But we'll, we'll, we'll share the praise with you later. But uh, the Australian women's team rumbles on. Uh, they claim the Dubai title and they, they knocked off New Zealand 26-19, um, which is their... Uh, third straight title, um, and known as the Queens of the Desert from now on. Nathan, did you come up with that one, was the, is, or is that what they're officially called in Dubai now? No, that was uh, Maddie Ashby herself. Um, when she won player of the final, came up with it, came with that, that title. And you know, given their success in Dubai, it's tough to argue with it. Like they're just they're so dominant, aren't they? They're so good. Like God dang, this women's this uh, this sevens team is so good. It's an absolute pleasure to watch, and they, on top of it, just their ability to bounce back, um, you know, in that game, and their ability to to keep pushing and keep always having that trusting in themselves to be able to 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 grab the result. Um, really impressive. Unfortunately, it was the same could not be said for the for the men's team, who uh, they've they've had a pretty great run this this year, um, and uh, as winning the championship. Earlier this year, but unfortunately they went down. Was it in the quarters or the semis, Nathan, to Argentina? Quarters. Yeah, in the quarters to Argentina. Argentina put in a great performance and won thirty-five fifteen um, over there, which was uh, which was disappointing. But hey, you know, you win some, you lose some. Um, they'll be they, the boys will will be back and better for it. But uh, God, a lot to celebrate with the with this uh, with this women's team. They are absolutely on fire. I think as well, just something, like, again, for the, on the men, I think it, it was definitely a case of, there's only so much you can, you can kind of get out of jail. Like, that Hong Kong <laughs> is very much them just, like, putting themselves down in men, down in numbers, and just being like, alright, we'll find a way to get back to it, we'll find a way to get back to it. And they kind of, they did that in a couple stages, it, it, even in the group stages, you know, found themselves down against Kenya, leveled it up, couldn't get, couldn't make the conversion. Nearly, Lost it against Great Britain before losing to South Africa. You know, it wasn't it wasn't an ideal build up, and it kind of showed against Argentina. But 
just on the women, I think the point point that needs to be made is it's just how dominant dominant this is. It's, it's an all team effort. And in saying that, there's kind of the way I like to describe it is you know you look at you know a World Rugby did Player of the Year award, um, nominations and awards, and three out of four are Australians. You know Charlotte Kaslick, clear player the player of the year, maybe best player ever to play sevens. You know Faith Nathan, an absolute rocket who you know. Scored five tries in a World Cup, in a Rugby World Cup sevens game, which is nuts. You know, Madison Levi broke the record this tournament for most tries in a single event with 11, and she's just an absolute gun. But the thing which stands out is when you look at who wins player of the final during those games against New Zealand, it's rarely those three, or it hasn't been those three. It was Maddie Ashby in this tournament, Shani Williams at the World Cup, Lily Dick in Langford, and Dom de Toy in Sevilla, I want to say. Now, all of a sudden, that's that's entire seven right there of superstars, not even including those coming through your system, like your Biana Toretas, your uh, um, Alicia Liafa Fakasili, Sarai Parkies, who you know, Sarai started the game with, with a break inside 20 seconds. And an Australia Ray program, which is essentially Walsh is developing basically himself and getting these next generation of talent up to speed. So when, if there is an injury, they can just slot in and dominate. Like, they're, they're so, so much better than the rest. Not, the rest of the team's not named New Zealand. It's not funny. But even on a bad day, they just, the talent shows through and they just kill everyone. Like, Again, they, I still make the argument they are the best Australian team out there at the moment and should win Team of the Year when, when the AS do their awards in a couple of weeks' time. I just hope when they get back to Sydney at Allianz next, next month, people get around them and just sell that place out because, God, they deserve it. Give them a crowd. Give, Give them, them a crowd. crowd as well. Okay. Yeah. It's such, such a good time. I'll be there. I'll be getting on the beers. You boys think be on the beers? I'll be in the nerdy room wanting to get the beers, so I'm going to have to take it. <laughs> One day, Nathan will be able to come to a rugby game and actually just enjoy it and not have to work. That's going to be glorious. <laughs> It'd be like that Simpsons episode where Bart can't go watch the Itchy and Scratchy movie. Devastating. Honestly, that's what it feels like at some points. But... <laughs> um, cool. Good wrap-up, Nathan. Thank you for that. Um... Cool. I think that's probably it. Um, I don't know. Um, what else? The, that's a year over. I was going to say, last question I'll throw out to you guys. Um, what's the key highlight from this year? The key lowlight? For me, being a Waratahs fan, it's seeing the rise of that team and them essentially all of a sudden going to Super Rugby with hopes that they can legitimately contend. That was uh, um, yeah. Low Lowlight. I mean, the, another Bledisloe loss and the way we lost that, that game in Melbourne, it still hurts. It really yeah. still hurts. Um, but, yeah, what, if, what, do you, what would you guys kind of put on top and the, the reverse? Uh, I'll go my low light, and then, Nick, you can go your low light. My low light would be the South African fan reaction after we played them um, and the continuing... Like, I mean, Resi put something out a couple of days ago. Um, and I think that's a huge low light. That, that kind of sucks. Obviously, other than um, the French referee being flavor play for a second. Um, yeah, that's my low light. Uh, Nick? Yeah, I mean, you can't really go past that uh, that game in Melbourne. It's... And, and not only that, but just for the the floodgates that have opened now as a result of that call, the amount of how many is it's a regular occurrence now that whenever I'm on Twitter or rugby Twitter, um, for as long as rugby Twitter may last, Elon, don't you dare uh, shut the thing down. Um, that now people are actually counting the time of penalties. Like I've started to see that now, and it's it's opened a floodgate, I reckon. Yeah. And it's not a, in not a good up. way. <clears throat> it's not a, in not a good way. Like 
people are now scrutinizing that up that eating the clock eating up time on the clock mentality and this was oh, something man, that I hope it doesn't happen at the world cup if it does happen at the world cup though like the the floodgates are open now for that like it's it's so dangerous um and no, and not just the fact that it it was against our team and yes it sucked and yes it was the Bledisloe. it's the most important game of the year for us and we were in that game the whole way um that doesn't excuse the fact that when they went to they went to New Zealand next week and got pumped. Like, oh, fuck, I'm so tired of that. I'm so sick of the inconsistency, specifically during the Bledders lows. South Africa can do it. They can turn up the following week and play. Come on, boys. Like, there's a... Uh, you're clearly good enough to play... No, what, what's to, your highlight? What's your highlight? What's my highlight? Well, that's a good question. Um... There's been a lot of highlights. There's been a lot of positives. I reckon the women's women's World Cup has been was outstanding uh, this year in in New Zealand. Um, the performance of the Wallaroos was really really good and really positive and encouraging, making it through to the quarterfinals um, and putting on a fantastic performance. The, the so many fantastic players that that kind of announced themselves as you know future players that I think are going to inspire the the female players for generations to come. Uh, with that, with that World Cup, that was a real highlight for me. Uh, that um, that result, um, and additionally, also just oh god, getting that win over England, just ending the ending the the losing streak, even though we ended up losing the series, was also just a personal. Finally, got one over Eddie. Um, also, the pure, the pure chaos in that game as well, like. Losing Quay before the first whistle, Banks breaks an arm, Swain gets a red card, Altoa goes down concussion, all before the first 30 minutes. Yeah, check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> That's the um, truth. Highlight of the year. Um, I did like Nathan's one, personally. Um, but um, probably that, actually, actually, I know, Corobetti's tackle in Adelaide. Adelaide. Oh. I think... You know, if that was in equivalent of an AFL game, you would not hear the end of it. Um, and that was world class. That was, you know, up there. That was like, that's almost like chain warns ball of the century. John Aloisi scoring the penalty. Um, the underarm ball in New Zealand. It was up there in Hall of Fame. And it's one of those things, just in fact, it was in Adelaide as well. Like, these guys, most of them had little idea what was going on, but as soon as they saw that, everyone just went up and it was just like a, just a raw hit the crowd. You're just like, oh my God, what are we just saying? <laughs> yeah, and that great, that great shot of that guy who was like right in the line of the camera. Yeah. With the shocked face, is like an emoji. And I think it's the best place to finish off by saying there is few things in the world more enjoyable than watching someone get smashed. We're obviously, not get injured. We 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 draw the line at getting in injured. We don't way, in a consensual, in a consensual way. way where no one gets hurt, but at the yeah, same yeah. time, someone, some human smashing the absolute snot out of another human. It's very satisfying. Yeah, very primal. <laughs> um, cool. Anyway, uh, I think that's it, boys. That's it. That's a year. That's over. That's yeah. All. We're um, done. That's to, it. To everyone who has listened to the pod, thank you for listening to the pod. For all of those uh, who've left reviews, thank you. Um, that includes you, Damien, who 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 said he'd rather not listen to me. <laughs> the other day. Um, this goes out to you too. Um, thank you to all the guys who comment. Um, I don't want to name names. I have names in mind. I see them every day, but I just don't exclude anyone. But uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, commenting. Um, and, you know, thank you for supporting Australian rugby. Um, except, of course, those, those Kiwis of you who, whose Facebook image is like a, like, a, like a Commodore and all you do is do laughing, crying emojis on the Green Gold Rugby Facebook page, apart from you guys, don't want to see you again, but everyone else, <laughs> thank you so much, um, and uh, I hope you have a lovely summer. Um, we'll see you next year.
Yeah. yeah. Exciting year. year. Very exciting year. We might Hopefully. have to change the we might have to change the theme tune after four, after six or seven years. We'll need to find a new rugby joke. We will. We we might actually. Um, and could it please be that guy who goes Sterly Bombo? Yes. Fascinating. Great player. That, that mate. Be... He, that's that's been our outro for the last seventy episodes. Oh fuck yeah. <laughs> That's been our outro for the last uh, yeah, episodes. Yeah, great player. Yeah, okay, good, good. I'm happy. I'm happy. Anyway, thanks, everyone. Have a great end of year. Great summer. Let's go the Wallabies. Catch you later. World Cup year next year. Do it. Well, what did go wrong? I'll have to look, look and think about it. Think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Shirley Bombo? Bit of genius, bit of magic. Sereli Bombo, very interesting, very good, yeah, very good. Three cheers for Sereli Bombo, very good, very good.